Hello, and welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 207. 206 was last week. I was going to say 206, but it's 207. So if you're new, I'm Delane Vaughn. I'm a board-certified family practice physician. I'm a former emergency room nurse, a veteran healthcare provider, and the host of this podcast. This podcast is for women who are ready to be done with worries of illness. They're not ready to let go of the life that they've known, the the vigor, the vitality, the longevity, all of those amazing things that they've had in their life up to this point. This is for women who see life as a gift and they're not ready to start the downward spiral of being sick. When we get a diagnosis like diabetes or prediabetes, it's kind of a warning blow to us. And this podcast is for badass women who are able to master all sorts of other things in their life, but haven't been able to seem to get on top of this one. So that's what we do at this podcast. Today, we are going to talk about corrections, corrections that I, over the years of collecting data and information and reading medical literature about diabetes and about how to live healthy corrections that I have had to kind of or adjustments I've really had to make to the things that I promote and tell people they should do, but also just like corrections to the way I understand the literature. So I'm going to get some of those things corrected for you guys. So you guys have some better information than maybe I've um, given out in the past because I of the way I understood the literature. Before we get started, I do want to uh, tell you if you are on medications for your type 2 diabetes, I would recommend that you be very, very careful making the changes that I promote in this podcast series. You have been medicated for the way you have eaten in the past. If you change the way you've eaten from what you did in the past to something new, you're going to need to change those medications. If not, you can get very, very sick, okay? So you're going to need to call your primary care provider, have a very clear line of communication with them so that you can let them know what your blood sugars are doing as you change your diet and they can give you direction and advice on how to come off your medications. So if you're on meds, please be very careful if you're starting to make these changes. I would also love to ask you to rate the podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, please rate the podcast. This allows the podcast apps to put it in front of more people. They follow an algorithm. The podcasts with more ratings and more reviews get put in front of more people. If you found it helpful and think other people might find it helpful, rate the podcast so other people get that information put in front of them also. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook. There is a Delane MD Reversing Diabetes Facebook group. If you'd like to join that, just ask to join and we'll get you in there. Um, also, there is a this Thursday on the 20th of July at 11.30 Central Time, there will be a meal planning webinar. Everybody always wants me to give them meal plans, like what's the meal plan, what's the meal plan, and I don't give meal plans, but I do teach my clients how to develop their own meal plan, and we're gonna go through that process. So if you want a meal plan for how to reverse your type two diabetes, let me know, send me an email. You can uh, email me at delane at delanemd.com and I will get you on the list of Um, people coming to that and we can get you the information and we will go from there. Lastly, if you are a woman with type 2 diabetes and you're worried and frustrated and confused about why you can't fix it, there is help. Please sign up for diabetes reversal assessment. These assessment calls are 45 minute Zoom calls where you and I will discuss your biggest obstacles, your specific obstacles to reversing your type 2 diabetes. By the end of the call, you're going to know what that main obstacle is. You're going to know why you haven't been able to overcome it and we'll get you some uh, strategies for getting help with that. 
If you're interested in that, please send me a message, delane at delanemd.com. If you're on Instagram, you can also go to my link tree and it will take you directly to uh, signing up for one of those calls. All right, so we are gonna talk about corrections today. Um, before we jump in, I do wanna talk about the strategies that I teach for reversing type two diabetes because the strat you know, the main strategies I teach are, are they are directed at the same thing, which is lowering your insulin level in your body. So I want to talk about that. And then I do want to talk about the corrections, the things that I realize now, maybe, um, maybe I was a little too hard. I was like too strict about, um, earlier. Um, and also like, I think also in this is going to be very helpful because there's a lot of things that maybe are, are raising your insulin level that have nothing to do with the food that you eat. And I think that that's a really important thing for people to realize. So let's talk about insulin function. Insulin function. Insulin is a messenger. It's a hormone that's released in our body from our pancreas, but it has a message for your cells. It wants to go to your cells and it wants to let your cells know it's time to open up and bring glucose inside so your cells can burn that off for fuel, okay? Insulin resistance is, I always use an analogy to noise, like there's like having too much noise. So recognize noise and sound are also messages to your body. They're meant to bring a message from outside your body into the inside of your body. So if you think about being at a loud concert and your ears, your hearing apparatus is overexposed exposed to the noise, your ears stop working correctly. You'll like, they become muffled. I don't, I'm sure most people have had this experience. I've had this experience where they just feel muffled. They aren't working as well as they could be, or they were before. Now, somebody can talk to you. They can get a message to you via sound and noise, but they have to loud, yell much louder. They have to be much louder in order for your ears to hear that, okay? So despite the resistance to hearing, that muffledness that your ears are experiencing, somebody can overcome that resistance by yelling louder. But over time, what that requires then is even louder noise, even louder noise, even louder noise, okay? You can't hear when that's happening. You just can't hear as sensitively as you previously have. So the answer to this situation, yes, you can get a message across, but if you want to normalize your ears to get them back to what they were before, as sensitive as they were before, the answer is not adding more noise to that situation. The answer is to go home into a quiet room, not have any noise, allow your ears and that hearing apparatus to heal up, so that you're gonna start hearing normally again. You're gonna start being as sensitive to the noise as you were prior to the concert, okay? Insulin resistance is very, very similar to this. Insulin has a message for your cells and when you're constantly exposed and overexposed to insulin, your cells stop working correctly. They stop responding to that message the same way they used to, as sensitively as they used to. They you can overcome like this lack of response by getting more insulin in the system. And that's what the pancreas does. But remember, that's not ever going to fix the situation. It's just going to get the message through. And over time, you're going to just need more insulin to get the message through. The answer is not adding any more insulin. The answer is to stop exposing your cells to insulin so that they can heal and then start to have that normal sensitivity to insulin and behave in a normal way again. So the strategies I teach are cleaning up your diet, intermittent fasting, and nutritional ketosis. Cleaning up your diet and intermittent fasting are very similar to going into a quiet room, 
okay? Nutritional ketosis is a little different. It does lower your insulin, and that's really the end-all point, is that you want to not have so much insulin in your system so that your cells can respond normally to them. But it's more, it's almost like reading differently. It's almost like giving the message. Instead of hearing the message, it's like reading the message. Or maybe even like if you were using Braille, getting a message that way. Nutritional ketosis kind of works in an entirely different mechanism than we usually utilize fuel in our system. So cleaning up your diet decreases the amount of insulin that your body produces and intermittent fasting decreases the time that your cells are exposed to those to that insulin. And that's really, those are the two main strategies I use with my clients. Now, if you wanna go into nutritional ketosis, I will help you go into nutritional ketosis. It's just, that's not usually what everybody wants to do and that's fine. And usually folks can get where they need to be just by cleaning up their diet and doing some fasting. So. We're gonna talk a little bit about things that kind of have changed. And I always share, I share this um, story from before I went to medical school. I share it with every learner that I ever come into contact with. So if I'm ever getting a medical student or a nursing student or a nurse practitioner student or working with a resident, if I ever have them and they're you know with me, working with me and I'm teaching them what I know in a clinical setting, I always, I almost always, I can't think of a time I haven't shared this story, but it's so important to me and it's so important for, um, especially people who are learning something as, part, as important as medicine to realize. So the story, um, the, the lesson really came to me from a, when I was a nurse, I was, um, we worked with the orthopedic residents a lot when I was in the emergency room as a nurse because people would come in with broken bones and ortho had to come down and um, set them or do whatever had to be done. So we worked a lot with orthopedics and there was a particular orthopedic resident, always very kind, always very professional, always really good at what he did. But he found out that I was leaving the emergency department that I was, you know, it was like my last day or whatever. And he'd asked what I was doing. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to medical school. And I did continue to work um, part-time, very part-time. Um, but I, my daily typical 40 hours a week was not gonna be there anymore. And he said, oh, what are you doing? And I told him I was going to medical school. And he said, oh, that's great. And of course, that happened a lot whenever somebody would find out that I was going to medical school. Most of the doctors were incredibly encouraging. This particular doctor, though, said, hey, I'll teach you the most important thing you could ever know as a physician. And I was like, oh, ears up. This guy, I had a lot of respect for him. You know, he's really bright, um, always did a really good job, always very professional. And he said, never forget, the more you know, the more you should realize what you don't know. And that has been something that has stuck with me all of my professional career since hearing that. The more that I know about medicine, the more I should realize what I don't know about medicine. And what that has done is like help me keep my pride out of the things that I do. I want to do the thing that's right. I always want to do what's right for a patient. I always want to do what's right on this podcast and share correct information. I always want to do what's right for my clients. But what I should know more than anything is the more that I actually know about biology and the body and medicine is should show me everything that I don't know because there's so much that we don't know and that's really what this this like corrections comes from right there were things that I thought I knew and then when I you know looked at the evidence more deeply or new evidence came out it's like oh looks looks like we weren't quite right there so the first thing that I think everybody needs to hear that I have previously been quite a stickler on is that carbs are the main issue and although for a lot of people, carbs are the main issue, like 
if you, you know, like, I wish I could be healthier. I know I could be healthier if I could just figure out how to stop eating Twinkies. If I could just figure out how to say no to chocolate. If I could just figure out how to not have the pasta, the French fries, the bread, the whatever it is, you know, if that's you, you know, if you're consuming that every day or five days a week, you know that. So if that's the case, I would offer to you that carbs probably are the issue. But what I've realized is there's a lot of other things that cause the human body to make insulin that have nothing to do with the foods that we're eating. So toxicities, this is a big one. Mercury toxicity is one of the main ones because not only can we get it from food and fish that we eat, but also a lot of times people will have old dental fillings in their mouth that have mercury in them and that seeps out over time. And that's a very inflammatory chemical in our body. You can have mercury poisoning, which is a different thing, kind of makes you crazy, but you can have this inflammation that's happening from this toxicity in your body. And it has nothing to do with what you eat. It does not matter how much you correct your dietary components, right? Like you can never look at another slice of bread and only have, you know, vegetables and meat for the rest of your life. And you may not be able to get a fasting blood sugar into the nineties or the eighties because you have this toxicity in your body. It's not only with mercury. That's the one that always comes to mind. There is definitely, um, an effect that happens that we're finding more and more information about with any kind of implantable thing, like even like hip replacements and knee replacements. There are all sorts of like inflammatory responses that can happen with these and that we're starting to realize more about. So if you are like, hey, I eat really clean and I have for years. I don't know what's happening here. I can't get my fasting blood sugar lower than 105 consistently. If that is happening for you, I would highly recommend you get in to see a functional medicine physician and you can go to ifm.com. I think it's ifm.com, maybe ifm.org, but IFM is a functional medicine. Um, it's, I think, the Institute of Functional Medicine in the United States. Great organization that actually does like the 18 to 24 month um fellowship program for doctors who want for providers who want to be fellowshipped in functional medicine so it's a, a pretty intense training um regimen and it's a legit i don't know i feel like they're well qualified and i think that they're a great source of information so um but you can go there and you can search in your area for people who are certified and uh have been trained by them who do functional medicine. And I would highly recommend you do that if you think toxicities might be your issue because they are trained for testing for it and then for treating for it. Other things that have nothing to do with carbohydrates, um, adipose tissue. And again, this is adipose tissue is gonna set off an inflammatory response, remember? I've talked about this a lot. I don't like using the word fat. I don't even like talking about fat cells or fat on my body or on your body or on anybody's body. I just don't like that word. It has a horrible connotation in this country. And it, it, I just don't like talking about that word. So I use the word adipose because that's what cellularly we call it. We call it adipose tissue, adipocytes or the, uh, fat cells. So adipose tissue, whenever we store past a certain threshold, of adipose tissue, the adipose tissue actually turns inflammatory. We're realizing that adipose tissue is actually a very powerful endocrine functioning organ. All of the adipose in your body functions like an endocrine organ, like your pancreas would or your thyroid would. These are endocrine organs, okay? 
So adipose is the same way. And when we store, when we get enough adipose on our body that it goes beyond a certain threshold, it becomes inflammatory. And it starts to bring in all of these inflammatory cells and they release all these inflammatory things like cytokines that many people have heard of since COVID hit. It releases all these inflammatory markers. It can be very, very messy. So adipose tissue is another thing. Like if you have a certain amount of adipose tissue on your body and you're not able to get that burned off for whatever reason, it may not matter how many carbohydrates you do or don't eat. You're going to have to find a way to get some of that adipose off of your system. Sometimes that's more aggressive fasting regimens. Sometimes it's doing nutritional ketosis because the ketone bodies go around and they heal things up. Um, but that can certainly be, an, it's not all about the carbs, right? Another um, aspect that can cause your blood sugar to run higher than you hope it will be, like higher than you want it, despite you having a very clean diet, would be if your gut microbiome is off. So we know every year, I feel like I did a, I think last August, I did a podcast because the Journal of Science actually had released an entire journal, an entire month of uh, science was released on the microbiome. And I kind of reviewed the different things, but all sorts of things are connected to the microbiome, not only your gut microbiome, but your mouth microbiome, your skin microbiome, all of these things. They have a very clear link between um, colon cancer and the microbiome. They have a clear link between rheumatoid arthritis and your oral micro microbiome. Um, there's all sorts of diseases that have a very clear link. There's a line drawn between the bacteria that live with us, the bacteria that live with us in a symbiotic relationship with us, and those not being healthy, like just not having a good mix of them or having the wrong kind of those bacteria leading to some of these diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or colon cancer. So certainly if our microbiome, our gut microbiome or my microbiome is not robust and healthy and all that it should be, there can be inflammatory markers that are, again are released from that. In addition to this kind of endocrine function, it releases messages, messengers that go out and, and act and an endocrine function um, in the in our bodies. And then lastly, one of the other biggest things that I found with women, again, women come to me and they're like, no, I eat really clean. And I'm like, oh, we'll see. And then I start seeing food logs and I'm like, huh, you eat really clean. Okay, what do we do now, right? Like they're already doing the fasting. They're already cleaning up their diet. They've already done that. And their fasting blood sugar is running like 110, 115. Stress has been one of the most consistent things that I have seen that have been hindering dropping that fasting sugar into the 80s and 90s range. And that means like, oh, I need to do meditation. Yes, that that is part of it. But also we have to look at the things that we believe about our day-to-day -day life that makes us feel stressed out, that makes us feel like the world isn't fair, that makes us feel like we need to fight against it. When we are in that stress state, your body only knows one way to manage stress. It manages stress in the way that it managed stress 10,000 years ago. And the only things that were stressing us out back then wasn't bills. It wasn't my work. It wasn't being not, you know, found helpful enough at work or whatever. That was not what was stressing us out. What was stressing us out 10,000 years ago were things that would kill us. Okay. And we were exposed to them and then we weren't exposed to them. We didn't sit and ruminate and worry. That was not happening. That's something of modern world that we do, 
of the modern times that we do. That stress can definitely drive up your cortisol, which will drive up your blood sugar, which will drive up your insulin level no matter what you eat. So that's another thing that I have realized plays such an important role. Two things that we know in the medical literature, at least, that will decrease stress. One is exercise, two is meditation. Things like um, moving meditation, things like yoga, tai chi, those kinds of things, they put both of them together, exercise and meditation, movement and meditation. So those are things that you can do to start actively managing your stress as you're learning how to think and believe differently about your life in order to lower that cortisol level, bring your blood sugar down and lower your insulin level. Another thing that I have been, I have started to have a shift on as far as what fixes type two diabetes, the idea of an animal-based diet versus a vegetarian or a vegetarian diet, okay, a vegetable-based diet or a plant-based diet. I used to be very, um, of the mindset that it would be very difficult to reverse your type 2 diabetes on a strictly vegetarian or vegan diet. And I've realized, and I've talked with this actually with colleagues of mine who do functional medicine and said, you know, hey, people are emailing me telling me they've been on these plant-based diets and they're seeing huge improvements in their A1C. What do you think about this? So this is from a colleague of mine who typically is like, if you're wanting to be a vegetarian, that's a joke. Come see me when you're ready to talk serious because she just feels that it's not it's hard to live a healthy life in this in our modern times and live a vegetarian on a vegetarian diet i think her and i have both started to have some shift on that belief over the years certainly there are certain humans who if they go on a strictly animal-based diet they're really high protein really high animal fat those kinds of things they are going to see worsening numbers and their blood sugars they're going to have a hard time normalizing those numbers and there are people out there who have lowered the amount of animal products that they have in their, their diet and almost removed all the animal products that they can and are strictly doing a vegetable-based or plant-based diet and they're seeing their insulin normalize and their blood sugars normalize. So I always remember that we as humans have all sorts of different um, enzymes in our body. Like our environment, our enzymatic environment, our biochemistry in our body is different from human to human based on where our ancestry came from, based on, you know, our personal genetics. Okay. Guys, hear me out. There's never going to be that genetic makeup that what I call the genetic milieu that allows you to eat Twinkies and Ho-Hos all day long. That's not existing. Right. But certainly there are humans who really do need to pull all of the carbs from their diet in order for them to normalize their blood sugars. And then there are other humans who can have quite a bit of carbohydrates in their diet and do have better blood sugars when their carbohydrates are higher. Okay. So again, I'm never talking about hohos and ding-dongs, guys. This has always got to be out of the picture. <laughs> Those foods have always got to go. But certainly some people do better with a certain amount of rice and potatoes and things like farro or quinoa or chia seeds or flax seeds or those kinds of things. They do better with those carbohydrates, those whole grain, real whole grain. I'm not talking about bread that's been pulverized into flour and then they stamp whole grain on it. That's clearly not a whole grain. It's pulverized into flour. Maybe they've thrown some wheat berries into it to call it whole grain, but it's not whole grain. It's flour. It's pulverized whole grain. So, but there are some people who can have some of those whole starchy 
grain foods and, and to include potatoes, of course, and sweet potatoes in their diet. And they do well with that. Okay. They actually do better with that. And it's one of those things I'm like, I don't get to make up the rules about why some people do better and why some people don't. But certainly I'm starting to realize that it's not just everybody needs to pull the carbohydrates out of their diet and all the carbs, potatoes, all the things, all the, I mean, rices, all of it. You know, yeah, if you're eating a lot of it and you know your blood sugars go up with it, you probably do need to pull it out. And maybe you only need to pull it out for a while, but I'm starting to realize not everybody needs to do that. And it's not 100% everybody needs to do that. I also do want to make a disclaimer with that. When I'm talking about having potatoes or rice or quinoa or, you know, flaxseed or whatever in your diet, I am never talking about a Chinese food carton size of rice. That's too much, clearly. I think everybody would agree. Well, yeah, of course that's too much. Sometimes what we're talking about is one or two tablespoons of that food. I'm not talking about a baked potato the size of your face. I'm talking about a quarter of that, like that's a, a smaller amount of baked potato. Or even I like to get like the, um, I think they're new potatoes is what they're, they're you need to make a little baby potatoes and just have one or two of those versus having a baked potato that's, you know, huge and it's just too much starch and too many carbs, too much potato. But, and then of course, there's also along with that adding like, oh, maybe starches aren't the devil. Maybe carbs aren't the devil that I thought they were. Um, also, there is the information and the evidence out there about resins, resistant starches. So when you heat starches and then cool them, they become resistant starches. And there's so much evidence about those being good for your blood sugar. But again, I'm not talking about something, a huge bowl full of them. We're talking about a very small serving size of these um, resistant starches. And it does involve, and you can Google how to make resistant starches, but it involves heating to softening point and then cooling and eating them in the cooled state, okay? That's what makes a resistant starch. So that's another thing that I really feel like I've had a little bit more shifting on. And, and it's, I mean, even I've had clients in the past where I'm trying so hard to convince them to stay off of carbohydrates, where the fact of the matter is that may not be the issue. The, the issue is really why do they keep going to the chocolate cake? Like that's the part that I'm like, oh, that is really the issue. And you'll notice like even in the way that I talk about helping people these days, if, and it's, you know, if you know that your health could be vastly better, if you could get this one food out of your life, I can help you with that. And that I think is actually much more powerful help than the specifics of how many grams of carbs you need to eat in a day. That is much less helpful for you than realizing why I keep eating this food, even though I know it's a problem in my life. And then lastly, oh my gosh, for so, so many of my old clients and some of them still work with me, so I can, I can give them this information face to face, but Artificial sweeteners are probably not the devil. They don't do the thing that I thought they did as much. It's not as uh, significant. So I understood the way that I understood artificial sweeteners really hinder us to reverse our type two diabetes is they still cause your body to produce insulin. So there's a, it's, I think it's called a cephalopancreatic response where your head gets the sweetness and it tells your pancreas to turn on insulin production because something carby is coming, something high carbohydrates coming because that's the only time we get that kind of sweetness in nature is fruit or honey or whatever. So when we put artificial sweeteners in, even though there's no carbohydrate associated with it, our body could still produce insulin. And although that does happen, 
It's not that that doesn't happen. They just are starting to realize that maybe it doesn't happen significantly enough to really impact our insulin resistance, to really create enough insulin to be a problem. Okay. They do believe it happens. It's just probably not significant to significant enough to be enough insulin to break a fast or to um, contribute to insulin resistance. Although I really, I drink a ton of Diet Coke and I'm like, I, I guess I assumed the whole time that was the amount of, like that was where I was getting my most insulin, but maybe not. I did drink a whole lot. So maybe so. Maybe it was just the M&Ms and that also makes sense, right? So there was a recent paper put out by the World Health Organization about artificial sweeteners. They call them um, non-sugar sweeteners, I think is what they call them. And they have basically come out and said that really there is no benefit to using them and really they should not be um, used. So World Health Organization, who advises against non-sugar sweeteners for weight control. So it talks about it doesn't help with weight control and it doesn't help prevent type 2 diabetes is the main thing that it talks about. And it talks then about how there's actually some other issues associated with it that could um, that are detrimental, that aren't healthy, and that we really ought to avoid those non-sugar sweeteners in order to avoid that unhealthy side effects that come with that. So um, I still am... I, and I haven't, I still hold to the fact that I think that it's still very detrimental to your gut microbiome, which we've talked about. Um, so I still am not like, oh, you know, not, you know, artificial sweeteners, let's go. I still am not thinking that they're a free for all, get on the artificial sweetener, but maybe they're not doing that insulin thing that I understood that they did before. One, two, um, I do think that they're still rough on your gut microbiome. Thirdly, I would like to point out that the World Health Organization really says at the end of their paper that, hey, listen, you all need to stop eating such sweet stuff, period, end of sentence. We just need to stop eating such sweet stuff. If we can start feeding our children less sweet food when they are young and start getting their palate to where they don't want all the sweetness, we are going to set them up for success in their health later in life. And for those of us who haven't gotten there, we really just need to wean off the sweeteners and be off of the sweeteners, all of them. We should look for natural sources of sugars, things that are in fruit, things that are, um, you know, grown in a whole food, even honey. I always say, you know, honey's natural. It comes from the earth, but it's guarded by little stinging creatures. It's really not something we're meant to consume tons of. Okay. So the basics that I always go back to, you must cut out the food that you know doesn't match with your biology. Again, this is not, maybe, maybe we're splitting hairs about rice and maybe we're splitting hairs about whole grains. I will offer again, I don't care what your bread says. I don't care if it's 175 grain, whole grain bread. If it is made from flour, if you look on the ingredient list and it has enriched white flour or wheat flour as the primary ingredient this i'm talking about this this is the food that has to be cut out because it just does not match our biology chocolate cake flour and sugar twinkies flour and sugar donuts flour and sugar doritos sugar and salt or i'm sorry flour and salt and sugar okay those are the things that if they really, they just aren't ever going to match our biology and there's no amount of them that can be considered healthy. I think the mentality of the diet industry that a little bit's okay, 
I always liken this to a cigarette. Like nobody's telling cigarette smokers that one cigarette's fine. You can smoke just a little bit, it's okay. Cigarettes cause disease to your lungs and these foods cause disease to your bodies, okay? One is not okay, a little bit is not okay. There may be humans that can have a single cigarette and it doesn't cause lung cancer or COPD. Yes, that's true and that's fine, but nobody would ever tell you one cigarette's okay. It's healthy, it's fine, okay? And nobody ever says to a cigarette smoker, just keep smoking, just keep eating that food like we do with dieting, right? Or with these foods, just keep eating it, we'll medicate you. Nobody says that with cigarette smokers. Just keep smoking your cigarettes. We'll just go ahead and give you more meds for that. With the cigarettes, we're so very clear and it's such a gift because we're clear, like you can't have this in your life. You're gonna have to cut that out. And then if we can't heal your lungs up, we'll add meds on top of that. But you have to cut the thing that's damaging your lungs out. Same with the food. We have to cut the things that's damaging your body out. If you need meds on top of that, awesome, let's get there. And those are really truly the clearly junk foods. Maybe rices and quinoa and grains are in this gray zone, that's fine. I also say the same thing about fruit, like nobody got diabetic because of their banana problem. That's not the issue, right? Like maybe we have to pull them out for a bit in order to lower your insulin level, but they aren't what cause your diabetes. It's almost always these other foods, the cigarette type foods that you really have to pull out of your life. All right, guys, if you have any questions about any of the things that I talked about, again, these were corrections, don't hesitate to reach out to me with your question, send it to Delaine at DelaneMD.com. If you're interested in the July 20th meal planning webinar, send me a message, Delaine at DelaneMD.com. If you're interested in doing a diabetes reversal assessment, please let me know. Go Again, you can go to my link tree on Instagram and there's a, a link directly to set yourself up for that. Or you can send me a message, Delaine at DelaneMD.com and I'll get you set up for that. You can also go to my Calendly. Um, Calendly is the, um, a scheduling app. It's like calendar, but L-Y. So C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y dot com forward slash Delane MD. And you can get to their reversal assessment scheduling there too. All right. I will be back next week. I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.